Ho, ho, ho! Greetings from the North Pole and welcome to Money MD! We're giving presents to all the boys and girls for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We've been making a list and checking it twice and delivering common sense solutions to all your complex problems. Naughty or nice. And now, here are my delightful elves. Oh, <clears throat> sorry, I mean doctors. Well, John, here we are right at Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Yeah, we've got a week left. I mean, uh, I, I still don't have all my shots. I'm doing it this weekend. Though, yeah, well, so. I'm making my list, checking it twice, yeah. you know, seeing if my kids have been naughty or nice and everybody else. So. <laughs> yeah. What a year. What, what a year. year. Oh, my goodness. I mean, what what we've been through, you know, with the stock market alone, I mean, the depths of March mm-hmm. to come all the way back and now be, you know, well positive here before the end of the year is is remarkable. But, yeah, I mean, everything else we've been through is just historic. Yeah. And right? it's certainly a challenging time. I mean, the, the cases are spiking. The deaths are spiking. Uh, really good news about the vaccine. It's actually out and being uh, administered. So uh, there is some light at the end of the tunnel, but a lot of pain for people in 2020. Very, very difficult. And certainly we... Our hearts go out to those folks that have been impacted um, right. you know, from a, a family standpoint and job standpoint and so forth. But markets continue to march on. It really is amazing. Yeah, my goodness. Yeah, I mean, it, people have been through a lot this year. And, and like you said, some people have been dramatically impacted with, you know, loss of family members and such. And we really do, uh, <clears throat> you know, lift those people up and, and, and feel for them. But Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, hopefully 2021 will be a better year, you yeah. know, and, um, you know, we, we got some great things to talk about but speaking. We have a Clemson football game this weekend. True. Right? We, we talk about, can't, give skip, you over, some can't skip over that. The ACC Tigers, yeah, yeah. Championship. Favorite by 10 points. Another chance yep. to take down Notre Dame. We'll see. I yeah. mean, they lost the first game. I'm kind of surprised they're favored. Um, yeah. but you know, I mean, maybe, uh, yeah, I think they'll pull it out. It's I think gonna, they're a better team. It's going to be a fun day of football. Alabama and Florida play at, at 8, Clemson yeah. and Notre Dame at 4 p.m. So there you go. Um, a couple check of good out. games, yeah. and yeah. then we're right into the playoffs. That's right. That's yeah, right. That'll, so, that'll exciting, exciting times. No doubt. Yeah, and speaking of exciting times, I mean, we got market predictions now for 2021, John. And, uh, you know, almost all the firms out there, uh, the, the the major brokerage firms that make these predictions mm-hmm. – um, they're they're saying next year is going to be positive. Yeah, that's right. And you know you can't make decisions on these predictions <laughs> no, by any you means. Cannot. Yeah. Uh, we, there's so many factors that impact the markets. But yeah, it is interesting how they and they put this out every single year, right? This yeah. Is just a, so we're going to talk about that. We got eight of the major firms here listed, and we're going to talk about their predictions and you know and and touch on last. I mean the previous year's predictions. Yeah. I mean you know they they haven't been that great. So yeah, right, right. <laughs> and then we're going to switch gears and talk about IPOs and. You know, there's a lot of uh, companies that are coming um, to uh, to the stock market and going public, and uh, you know, a lot of buzz around them. And but uh, you need you need to think twice about IPOs. The data does not support um, buying IPO. So we're going to go through seven reasons why you should uh, you know really reconsider that because the uh, the data doesn't suggest it. Yeah, that's right. That's right. By the way, I'm uh, Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 25 years experience. Finding financial planning and investment advice. And I'm John Travis. I'm a Dave Ramsey certified counselor. I have an MBA in finance and have been helping corporations and individuals with planning for over 28 years. And we're excited to have you listening to us today on our weekly show. Our podcast up every Friday afternoon. Yeah, check out our website, moneymd.net. We have a link to the podcast. You can uh, listen to the hundreds. You know, we're coming up on 10 years on this. That's right. You know, in January. Long time. Long, long time. So check that out. A lot of really good tools on the website as well. I also have a Facebook page, MoneyMD put a prescription of the week out there every single week yeah and you can link to us you can send us your questions we'd love to hear from you and we will 
address those here on the show. Um, well, John, we're going to start off here with the financial fact of the week. Yeah. So one of the things that we do with um, with with uh, clients and and uh, spend time on planning is is taxes, right? And uh, obviously, we don't know what taxes are going to be in the future, but we know what they are now. And we do know historically what they've been. Right. In 2020, the uh, the top marginal tax rate uh, was a, was 37%, is 37%. But if you go back in history, back to 1979, the top marginal tax rate was 70%. Right. It was actually 77% back in 69. Yep. And it was 91% back in 1963. Yeah. That's, those are big numbers. Those are big numbers. So, yeah, if you ever think your tax taxes are bad and you're a high income person, then, you know, just think back to what it could be back in the 60s and 70s. My goodness. I mean, 91 percent in 63, they just said, hey, if you're making above this amount, just send it all in. That's right. You know, you don't deserve it. Might as well not even work at that that level, right? That's right. So, I mean, it it can get back there. So you never know about the future. But yeah, I mean, right now, I mean, it's 37 percent. That's a lot of money, though, still. I think the general feeling is, is taxes will go up in the future. I mean, they're starting to to squeeze that a little bit. We saw that with inherited IRAs. You, You could distribute that before the recent change over your lifetime. So it could be 20, 30, 40 years. Now it's 10 years. You have For to take non, it For non-spouse beneficiaries. Non-spouse beneficiaries, right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So they are going to start squeezing this, you know, yep. and I mean, the tax plans that, you know, have been proposed um, by, you know, Biden really looked at the top income brackets and we're talking about raising taxes. So, you know, I don't think, I, I, I personally don't feel like that'll change this coming year. Yeah. I don't feel like they'll have the Senate to be able to do that, but- you know, we'll you see. never, you never, never know. know, you never That's know. Right. So, but it is f- interesting to know history, though, yes, to know how it could get yep. if it ever got to that level again. But uh, here's hoping. Anyway, and that leads us up here to our first topic, and that is um, analyst predictions for 2021. John, I mean, we're here at the new year. It's I'm, amazing. I'm glad we don't do this as a firm. Oh my goodness! <laughs> you know, I yeah. mean, because you're always gonna. I mean, most everybody says it's gonna be up, right? Why would you go against what the odds are? Right, Generally. right. Yeah, be a contrarian, really be hanging it out there, you yeah. know. But um, this is based on an article out of Yahoo Finance, um, very recently. And John, but most analysts of these major in- investment institutions have dusted off their crystal balls. They've come out with their new predictions in the stock market for next year, and so far, every single one is predicting a rise in the market. Hmm. Now, they're at different levels, you know. I mean, obviously, some of them are are pretty modest rises, and some are very nice rises. Um, So, you know, and I don't know if I've ever seen, though, a more unified, bullish group of New Year predictions in the stock market. Usually, you have somebody that's predicting it's going to drop or be zero, flat next year, and that's not the case this time. Of course, nobody knows what the New Year is going to hold, but it is very interesting to hear what these so-called experts are predicting. And, of course, some of the big drivers for the market um, this coming year are going to be, you know, the, the, the COVID-19 vaccine distributions, you know, alongside of the extension of, of this year's kind of improving economic activity um, as this gets behind us and the low interest rates. And most analysts have cited kind of this medley of events kind of as fuel for another rise in, in markets next year. Um, so let's take a look. Let's kind of dig into what these analysts see for next year in their crystal balls. Most of these predictions are based on the S&P 500, um, which is currently around 3,700, mm-hmm. you know, as we're doing this show. So, I mean, that's kind of the starting point here. Yeah, I think it's also interesting to point out this is the S&P 500, right? It's right. one segment of 
Correct. many different asset classes out there. So it's looking at the top, you know, stocks in the U.S., large stocks in the U.S., but it doesn't talk about small stocks. Right. Doesn't talk about value stocks. Doesn't talk about international stocks. So it's a piece of the pie, but it is it's interesting a, to it, look at. It's a piece. If you're it diversified, is. this is a small piece of your whole it is. puzzle. It is. And so the first um, uh, target out there is from Deutsche Bank. And uh, so again, 3,700 is the starting point. They were at 3,950. And so they see for 2021 a, a recovery in earnings. Uh, which essentially increases the uh, denominator of the price to earnings ratio. Um, and uh, that said, an increase in companies' payout ratios um, as dividends and buybacks return uh, could at least partially offset this. So a gradual correction of this overvaluation is what they're saying, um, argues that you know they could hit the target of uh, 3950 by the end of the year. And that, Steve, that would apply um, imply about an 8% appreciation from the closing price um, back in early December. So 8% yeah. is kind of what they're looking at. Yeah, so 8%, that's kind of a, I mean, that's a good, but it's kind of an average appreciation for yeah. long, long-term long Yeah, they're not taking markets. a real big risk here. I mean, you no, know. No, and most of these guys don't. You no. know, you're very rarely going to hear one, t- you know, predict over 10%. That's really rare, And but we do have some of those here. Yeah. Um, you know, speaking of which, it's the next one here, and that is Jefferies, which is big investment bank, I believe, and um, – you know their target for the year is forty two hundred, mm. so pretty good. You know, and they're they're predicting a you know modest increase in earnings per share for the S and P five hundred, um, <clears throat> above what the current you know prediction is for the S and P. So um, for earnings, and so but they're saying you know they've upgraded their outlook for the S and P five hundred um, earlier this month after they initially unveiled this target price of 37, well, their initial target price was 37.50. And then the news of Pfizer, Moderna, and the AstraZeneca, you know, vaccine data came out and they vastly increased their, uh, prediction up to 4,200. And that represents a appreciation of about 14.7% from the record close on December the 1st. So, um, you know, they went on to say that much of the the much maligned uh, value in cynical sectors, cyclical sectors are slowly making a comeback after in, the inflation pr- pressures, you know, begin to return. Um, and this rotation is supported by the steepening of the yield curve and the uh, along with the growth era stocks. They're predicting those growth stocks will be trading sideways, sideways right. next year. Yeah. Yeah. So very interesting. Um, then we have Bank of America, John, which is uh, quite a bit different than all of these. You know, their predictions only thirty eight hundred for next year. Um, you know, stocks have already pretty much priced in much of the expected recovery. They're saying um, in the economy and corporate profits, and that leaves just a slightly more upside to next year. So according to Bank of America, S and P target thirty eight hundred only implies a 4.5% appreciation from the closing prices back in late November whenever they made this prediction. So, and gee whiz, as of this week, we're, we're almost there. So that's that's a pretty, that's one of the mildest ones I think we'll see. Yeah, another one here, another company, BMO Capital Markets. Um, they uh, basically said, you know, 2020 was the swiftest quarter over quarter earnings collapse for the S&P 500 ever. Uh, it plummeted nearly 50% in the first quarter. So they're saying, hey, 2021 has a potential to be one of the best years ever in terms of earnings growth when you compare it year over year. So they have a 4,200 uh, um, target price on the S&P 500, and that's up about you know, 14, 15% from the current level. So that's pretty optimistic as well. Yeah, it certainly is. And then we have uh, Credit Suisse. Um, yeah, and their analyst um, introduced 
their 2021 target price for the end of the year for the S&P 500 of 4050 hmm. So that implies about 12.5% or 12% upside from the closing levels back when they made this back in mid-November. Of course, the market's already appreciated a, bit, a lot yeah. from since then, so it's taken some of that already. Um, but the underpinning for this, you know, they say is the assumption that two years from now, the post-virus economy will have already hit a peak and in their 2021 S&P target is based on the earnings per share of $168 per share uh, total earnings for the S&P 500 next year. And that's an improvement of 20% over the expected earnings per share this year, they're saying. So they're expecting, um, you know, then another rise in earnings to, to $190 a yep. share back in 2022. So, yeah, I mean, they're, they're uh, yeah, it's kind of a, they're kind of saying they think it's going to peak out and, and, and level off in 2022. Yeah, uh, Morgan Stanley mm-hmm. uh, basically set a level of uh, 3900 which is um, a couple of percent higher than where it is now. Um, you know, they're talking about 2020 was a crazy year and uh, 2021 will, should favor those companies that can deliver earnings growth um, that isn't already expected or priced in. That's that's real novel. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. right. So, you know, a couple, they're, they're saying four or five percent increase. Yeah. I mean, some of these predictions are just really obvious stuff they state. And yeah. Just right. kind of throwing a number out there. Um, it's kind of obvious when you read down into it. Goldman Sachs um, is one of those. Um, having said that, they have a pretty very bullish, uh, op, uh, you know, prediction here. Um, they're saying the vaccine is the most important development in the economy, a lot more than the new administration or taxes or anything else. Um, and so their strategist, uh, uh, they agree that the vaccine will be the most important uh, catalyst for next year. And the economy reopening coming alongside a vaccine in tandem with the, uh, you know, policy environment uh, submitted with a divided government, they're thinking will help push the S&P to 4,300 by the end of next year mm. and then to 4,600 by the end of 2022. Um, so those are really good, you know, really, really ambitious price uh, predictions. And so that implies a 20 percent appreciation uh, from the closing prices when they made this back in mid-November. So that was Goldman Sachs. And then there's J.P. Morgan. Um, and this one is the most bullish of all, John. Um, they're saying the stock market's facing one of the best backdrops for sustained gains in years. After a prolonged period of elevated risk, you know, the global trade war, the COVID pandemic, the uh, election uncertainty and all these things, um, the outlook is significantly clearing up, especially with the news of highly effective vaccines that are coming out. And given this, they see the S&P 500 surpassing um, their, their previous price targets and then reaching um, 4000 early next year and uh, good potential for it to go even higher up to 4500 by the end of next year. So that's a that's a, a 9% gain over a gain over the start starting value in December. Um <clears throat> you know, just this year and then a 12% gain, um, in 2022. So it's a really ambitious, um, really ambitious prediction. Yeah. So when you average everything together of all these firms, they have a targeted closing price of about 4,000 for the S and P 500. Again, we're kind of in the 3,700, um, level. So 
Yeah, that's about an 8% increase uh, for next year is kind of the average of all those. And it's it's worth uh, also pointing out that analysts have historically overestimated the gain of the market in most years. Uh, maybe this is more predictable. I don't know. We'll see. We, we certainly don't make decisions based on these forecasts because uh, no one knows what 2021 is going to hold. Uh, no one predicted 2020, that's right. right? Any part of it. Um, that's exactly very, very right. Very, unusual year. So. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's interesting to see all these different predictions coming out, you know, particularly of a, such a historic bear market year as we had this year. But one thing's for sure, you know, they can't all be right. <laughs> you yeah. know, they can't all be right. In fact, I mean, history shows that most are nowhere close to the actual, um, you know, performance that we'll see. So personally, I, I mean, I'm pretty optimistic about next year, um, even though, you know, we've had some a real nice recovery so far. But, you know, I think the economy will continue. But that's just a personal prediction, you know, I mean, a feeling, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but it's not based. I mean, nobody knows. That's the key. That's right. Um, so the bottom line is, you know, it, it, this does not change our time-tested philosophy and advice for the coming year of diversifying into many different asset classes at a risk level that you're comfortable with. And, you know, we're certainly going to see some pullbacks next year, as usual, and when, when some kind of disappointment surfaces or unforeseen events unfold. But the key is staying invested in a diversified portfolio, rebalancing on a periodic basis, regardless, regardless of what happens. Um, you know, I think we can all agree on one thing. 2021 will be much better than 2020. <laughs> well, let's hope so. <laughs> in almost every way, yeah. and it can't get here fast enough. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm <laughs> so, with you. There you go. There's the predictions for next year, and that leads us up here to our question of the week. Yeah, is uh, paying off debt a good use of cash, uh, even if it's the debt is at a very low interest rate? And this really gets to um, you know baby step two for Dave Ramsey and uh, you know big believer in paying off debt as we are as well. So the general answer is yes, even though you know interest rates are really low for whether it's your house. Obviously, credit cards can be high as well as vehicles, but. Um, regardless of the interest rate, we have people that that um, you know have low mortgage rates, and and so the answer is you you should have a goal of paying off debt. Certainly going right. into retirement, uh, I don't care what the interest rate is. Um, it's it's it, the relief people have going into retirement without any debt is a big deal. So certainly, so definitely uh, make baby step two that Dave talks about a priority if that's where you're in your situation. Right, and then once you get through baby step two, you build your emergency fund in baby step three. So yes, pay off debt. Yeah, you have a minimal emergency fund, you pay off debt, and then you get that down to just your house, and then you build up a proper emergency fund, which is three to six months of expenses. You know, we would never recommend you go cash out your retirement plan to pay off debt. No, you know? no. Um, so there there are some, you know, exceptions. You don't want to just go, you know, kind of rob Peter to pay Paul in the sense of, of robbing your future retirement plan. You got to, you got to, do a budget. You got to get things in order so that you free up some cash flow and you got to pay off debt the hard way, you know, and that is, you know, by cutting some expenses and budgeting. Yeah. I heard a story driving in this morning. It is kind of a, an aside, but similar to this, the Ramsey yeah. organization paid off $10 million of debt for 8,000 people. And I didn't hear where that occurred, but wow, that is a big number. Um, sure so is. they're helping people kind of get through baby step two. Um, you know that's uh that's pretty impressive. I was I was glad to hear that. Yeah, that's really cool. Really cool. All right, great question of the week, and that leads us up to our next topic here, and that is the seven reasons why you shouldn't buy an IPO. Come on, John. I mean, really the. <laughs> 
What was the one that just came out DoorDash, here? DoorDash. DoorDash, uh, uh, yeah. Airbnb. Airbnb is what I was thinking of. I was oh, like, man, really? Yeah. We shouldn't have just jumped into that? Yeah, Come on. You know, there's a reason for that. Hang on. We'll get there. All but right. uh, <laughs> it's actually an interest. This is an interesting topic because we do get this question a lot. And this comes from the U.S. News and World Report. Um, and, uh, you know, the initial public offerings, also known as IPOs, they, they gather a lot of buzz. Investors uh, should really think twice before blindly buying into an upcoming IPO. And uh, there are a few stocks that, that do rally in their debut. Um, we see some stocks that, that rise in the first week when they come out. But, you know, if you look back, I mean, some of the bigger names that have come out recently, Lyft and Uber, they're trading for less than their respective IPO prices a year later. Right, right. right. So, um, you know, investors who are thinking about buying an IPO really need to consider how it fits into their, their, their total asset allocation. I mean, if you wanted to go and put $1,000 in one, it's not going to break you. But uh, trying to time these is, is the data does not support that. So so stick to, um, you know, your, your diversified strategy. Don't listen to the water cooler talk <laughs> too much. Right. Uh, otherwise, you'll get swept up in uh, this IPO fever that people have. So here's seven reasons not to buy uh, an IPO. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, the first one here, John, I mean, really highlights – you know that the, the the problem with IPOs is yep. that price you hear is a mirage. You yeah. know it's not real. Yep. You know that price that they you know and you just said that they fall typically below that price. Um. You know what a year later and um. You know and that price was an artificially artificially low price mm-hmm. whenever it came out on these hot IPOs because the word I in IPO stands for initial public offering. Um, so the word I is initial price, right? Um, so, um, you know, it's initial public offering is what an IPO is, but that price goes to the investors who can get in on the deal early. And those people are either, they're, they're super big clients at the brokerage firm that's underwriting the offering. Um, and they're, you know, are there, there, there are people actually, you know, the firm itself involved in the, involved in the offering, right. You know, the average investor can't buy at the IPO price for a hot IPO that comes out. Um, so when you hear that the price came out, you know, and Airbnb went for some price, you know, I don't even know what the price was when it came out. That's not a real price you could buy it for. When it hit the open market and you could actually, the secondary market, and you can actually buy it on the stock exchange, it was a much higher price. Yes, it was yeah. too late. I mean, you, you had never, no chance. It was already gone up, you know, so you could never buy at that IPO price. That's a mirage, you know, and um, so hot IPOs are, you know, not in the cards for mere mortals, they say. Yeah. <laughs> you know, investors are, you know, who are lucky enough to get a small you know, IPO allocation, you know, they won't receive enough shares to make a significant financial impact. I heard that some people that that were that had rent, were renting yes. their places on, on Airbnb. Uh, Airbnb, right, got the opportunity to go buy some of theirs yeah. at the IPO. I don't know how many shares it was, but I think it was a minuscule amount. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't so, move the needle very much. Doesn't move the needle. So, you know, you may get that offer, you know, like if you work at the company or something for to buy a little bit of it. But uh, bottom line is, you know, you're not going to be a buyer to buy at that price if it's an attractive IPO. That's right. That's right. And here's the other interesting thing is IPOs actually may underperform the benchmark. And there's 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 a research report that was recently done by Dimensional Fund Advisors, which is who we actually have partnered with in the yeah. industry. And it shows poor performance by IPOs. So DFA studied the first year performance of more than 6,000 
U.S. IPOs between 1991 and 2018 and found that these stocks um, underperformed their industry benchmarks. So generally speaking, it doesn't look like, based on the data, that IPOs do particularly well relative to other stock market investors when you look at you know risk factors and other items. So sometimes the investor has to you know have a connection, like you said, to a company to actually get the price for a hotly anticipated stock. But you know retail investors don't get access to those shares and you know, if you know, so, the data says they don't do very well overall. Right. So it's not a good long-term investment. That's right. So, and sometimes we do see emotion can can trump reasoning, and we see this with IPOs. I mean, like you said, DoorDash and uh, Airbnb have been very uh, very hot topics, and IPO buyers can easily get swept up in popular consumer trends. Uh, retail investors. You know, they get lost in the uh, the latest hot IPO. It's something everybody wants to own. I know Lyft and Uber were that way when they came out. Right. Um, and so, you know, the the DoorDash um, has was highly anticipated this year. It has benefited from increased um, demand during the pandemic, but people need to decide: is that a, is that a fad? Um, is that sustainable long term? So, who knows? Um, so, when you buy into these IPOs, you're buying on the secondary market. The price has already jumped based on the the forecast associated with it. So you're going to get in late. That's exactly right. And, you know, the next one here, John, is valuations still matter. What? Yes. Yeah. I mean, just like the dot-com era 20 years ago, nothing's changed. You know, it's not a new economy, right? Valuations do matter. And they do. Yeah. Hot IPOs. I mean, they can see their share price rise sharply in the first few days and weeks of trading if they're a hot IPO. And that sends the valuations, you know, out the roof. So with high price to earnings ratios like that, um, you know, that that gets really expensive. And, um, you know, the shares of, of uh, for example, shares of cloud software company Zoom, of course, Zoom Info Technologies, um, which de- debuted, I guess, last summer, um, they jumped 100% when the company debuted. <clears throat> um, and then they pushed the company's market capitalization to $15 billion dollars. Well, that limits the future growth because so many expectations mm-hmm. now are already priced into the market, into the into the price of that stock. So when it comes to popular trends and fads, I mean, people need to consider if all the benefits the company delivers are represented in the price. And generally they are. I mean, you know, what does a competitive landscape look like? Well, when you, you look at, um, you know, what they're doing, you know, and, and then is there other competition that's going to come in yep. in the future? And I would argue that, you know, that's going to happen for oh, you know, absolutely. electric vehicle stocks oh, like Tesla. Goodness. Yeah, I don't think there's any way Tesla can own the market for electric vehicles yeah. going forward with all the competition that's coming out. That's just one example. That's capitalism. That's capitalism. <laughs> so, you know, IPOs, I mean, they, they get really expensive really quick. And then they underperform, as the study showed. And here's the int- another interesting reason why not to buy an IPO is there's there's little information about um, the IPO valuation. Now, the company has taken it to market. They helped to set a valuation, which helps to set the IPO price. But, Steve, it's not until this stock starts trading in the secondary market that outside analysts, people that aren't tied to this, Start they get a chance it. to review it. right? Yeah. And they get to take a look at it. So the valuations that are coming out, um, is based on one company's view of it. And um, that changes once it hits the open market and there's more information about the company and the financials and so forth. So uh, again, you got to be careful. And that's why they underperform typically is because evaluations can be higher than what they should be. Yeah, that's right. Another reason, you know, you shouldn't buy it though is research is important. 
And unfortunately with IPOs, as you just alluded to, there's not a lot to research on IPO because it's just come out. There's no history on the stock yet, right? So, you know, you can't look at, you know, past P.E. ratios and, you know, you don't get much data on past earnings and all those things. And you need to research them. You need to know what you're getting into. And that takes time. So, you know, buying an IPO right out of the box, probably not a good idea. Yeah, and the last reason here is that prices may tumble after the lockup period. So private shareholders and other insiders that actually have significant shares, they, they usually have to wait uh, for six months before they can sell it. And, uh, you know, if it's experienced, you know, sharp price rallies, they're probably going to sell it <laughs> and take their profits right. and, and go home and, and uh, do something different. Now, they may not, but, um, you know, there could be a significant decrease in price after six months because people are liquidating and if the stock's gone up significantly. And um, so you just got to be really careful with IPOs. Again, if you want to dabble in this with a, a small amount of money, that's fine. But um, as a strategy in general, the data from DFA says and points out that they typically underperform the benchmark. And that's going back, you know, almost 20 years. Yeah, exactly. Or over 20 years, actually. Exactly. Yeah. So it's just a very aggressive, risky strategy. And, you know, you just got to you got to do your homework. And, and I think IPOs are, in general, not a good idea. Yes. So great point. All right. And that leads us up here to our last item today. And that is the prescription of the week. Yeah. So the prescription is, is to look at your portfolio um, and, and consider rebalancing it. So we, we obviously do that here at Richard Young Associates um, uh, quarterly. And also when people put money in and take money out, there's some right. tactical rebalancing that goes on. But if you're, if you're not with us and you're listening to this, um, look at your portfolio. There's been some asset classes that have done exceptionally well um, this year, and it may be a, a chance to take some of those gains and put them into some other sections that have underperformed because we look back at history and these sectors, they rotate leadership and we don't know what's going right. to be the best in 2021, but there's an old adage, adage that says buy low, sell high, right? Absolutely. So that's kind of rebalancing. Absolutely. Yeah. Great prescription of the week. All right. And that brings us to a close for this week's edition of Money MD. Tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health. Check us out on our website, moneymd.net. You can link to us there and send us your questions, or you can give us a call at Richard Young Associates, 706-739-0725. Thanks for listening. Have a great rest of the week. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. That's right. Merry Christmas and a happy new year from all of us at MoneyMD. This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 